So as Sarah was talking about last week, I also am living in a divided home. Because my wife is from New England. Loves Patriots. Whereas I, on the other hand, thoroughly love the Seahawks. And I will tell you why. So after the Seahawks win their championship game, what does like Russell Wilson and a few of his buddies do? Kneel down and pray at the end of the game, right? Right? What does Tom Brady do? Cheats. Unless there are somebody goes, somebody goes, he didn't do anything with the footballs. I saw an interview this week where he said, I pick out my footballs, and I, I'm like, buddy, you just digging that hole deeper. You're not helping yourself at all. So, uh, yeah, all right. You're like, I hate this church. Jesus, yeah, Jesus doesn't love that guy at all. Uh, if you if you brought a snack last week for Super Snack Sunday, I'm supposed to say thank you so much uh, for doing that. I really appreciate it. It's great. Um, and I really don't have a lot to talk about this morning, which is good because i got a long message. So I guess I could just get going. Uh, if you are newer, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Uh, there are sermon notes in all the communion tables throughout the room. Uh, you open those up, there's some notes and some questions that go along with the message to go deeper. There's some announcements on the back. If you have a smartphone, there's an app. It's called YouVersion. Click on Live in that. And usually, uh, you'll get the sermon notes and the verses and all that goes along with the message. In first service, there's something wrong with YouVersion servers. We uploaded everything. And for some reason, it's timing out a lot. So if you can't get it, sorry. Go the old hard copy route. You'll be okay. Trust me. It's like one week. You'll be fine. But maybe it's working now. I don't know. You can try and get that. It's not working? No. Sorry. It's not us. We did all that we were supposed to do. Extend grace. There you go. Just not to the Patriots. No. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. Okay. So, uh, welcome to Elm. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stay on the reading of God's word? We will get going. Uh, This is Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. The psalm writer says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would search our hearts and that the light of your spirit would illumine all the places that we try and hide things and that we would honor you by how we deal with those things in the dark crevices and recesses of our heart. I ask that you would take us into new pastures and new places where your glory is known and your people find great joy because we have surrendered all to you. Amen. Have a seat. Yes. Came up on Facebook. Facebook is the devil. (laughs) Apparently. All right, so for, for the longest time, for the longest time, people have been writing all these books that they're like the year of living like blank. And so they had this one that was called The Year of Living Biblically, which you've read the book. It's more like The Year of Living Legalistically, so it wasn't really biblically. Then like Year of Living Dangerously, Year of Living Like Jesus, Year of Living Miraculously. Well, at Element, we are doing The Year of Teaching Topically. 
Okay, so that, that's, that's kind of where we're at. Uh, I've had all these series kind of percolating around in the back of my brain, but when we hit a book of the Bible, it just takes me so long to get through stuff that all these things get set to the side. So what I decided to do in 2015 is we're taking all these little series that were percolating around the back of my head, and we're putting them in there so we all get to walk through them. So, uh, but, but again, even when we talk about being topical, we're really not topical because we'll take a section of Scripture and then we just talk about it like like we're going to spend you know the next seven weeks in the churches of revelation as our topic but it's really expository as we walk through those churches 2016 uh, we are going to do the first half of the book of acts it's going to take us about 30 weeks to get through that and then we're going to do some marriage stuff but so we're going back into yeah there you go um in in this series that we're starting today again this is the churches of revelation it's why you got the decor that you do if you are new we usually don't have funky little signs hanging from things in the room. Uh, this is kind of goes along with what we're talking about. But when we talk about the churches of Revelation, we're not going to be all end times. You're going to let, get left behind and all that. We're going to talk about it in context of the examination of our souls and what Jesus wants to do in and through us. What we're going to do essentially is something that is called Lent. Lent. This is the idea that we started with of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Uh, The word Lent, it comes from this word that means springtime, because that's traditionally when Lent takes place. And Lent is like the preparation of a believer. When you go through prayer and uh, penance and repentance as God illumines our hearts so that we go towards resurrection. It's this whole idea of moving towards resurrection and Easter and new life and everything that, that entails. Now, if you are from a religious tradition that normally celebrates Lent, it actually won't start for another couple weeks. But we're doing it now because uh, we start this season because it's 10 weeks until Easter at this point. So we want to do the seven churches of Revelation. And then the last three weeks before Easter, we're going to do what's called the Paschal Triduum, which is the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of Christ's death and then ultimate resurrection. I think you're going to be amazed. It's going to be, if I say so myself, it's going to be, I don't want to say anything about football today. So anyway, uh, so open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. Uh, that's where we're going to start. Uh, remember, again, Lent is a journey of res- to resurrection. There's a Friday of the death on the way to the Sunday of rebirth before Christ is risen. He is buried. And so, again, Lent is going to be this time where we probe our hearts, confess our sins, we repent, we look at what God wants to do in and through us as he shines his bright light, invades our souls, and begins to shine all the dark crevices of our hearts that we want to hide. Uh, I think through this time, if you give God the chance, he's going to inspire you into new things. Uh, Some people give up things for Lent. Uh, Some people enter into a new discipline. Some people fast. It's all to get in this frame of mind. So when you actually celebrate Easter and resurrection, when it comes around, it's this joyful, earth-moving, chaotic celebration for three of you. (laughs) So anyway... Yeah, okay. So Revelation 2 is the start for us uh, in this as we go for it. Uh, The one we're going to look at today is it's geared toward this church called Ephesus. I literally have 20-plus commentaries on the book of Revelation. I got like twice that many books that just talk about it. There's so many words that have been said and hashed and rehashed over and over and over about it. There's almost no end to the words about the book of Revelation, but hopefully we're going to get something pertinent and new for all of us. Uh, Ancient writers had this saying that the words of God are like uh, black words on a white page and that there's so much more white space around the black words and all that white space is where we make our commentary but the black words are what's important because it's what's 
what God has said. And so Revelation is what is called apocalyptical literature. It's very popular in the, by first century writers, and it's full of metaphors and words and phrases, but they are rooted in real social, cultural, political context of that first century. So Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, starts like this. To the angel in the church of Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And right off the bat, it's like, boom, it's epic, it's huge, it's, it's big, light and lamps, they all mean something. It's, it's walking and going somewhere. The image of candles and light and lampstands will be very pertinent to Jewish readers. Uh, light happens all the way back in Genesis. It's very important for everything else that takes place after it. Throughout the entire Old Testament scripture, light keeps coming back again and again and again. Isaiah 49, verse 6, God says, I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Lamps, lanterns, and lampstands. Light speaks of God's desire for the world to know his glory and his salvation. Jesus is calling these churches lamp stands to be shining forth the light that is Jesus as he walks among them. It goes all the way back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 14 to 16. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And what Jesus is doing here by starting the book of Revelation in these churches like this, and what he's doing is calling these people to their mission. He's calling people to mission. Now, if I said, what is mission? You'd be like, uh, mission is simply this. Mission is the life purpose of any saved person. Of any person who calls Jesus Lord and Savior of the life, that's your life purpose. That's your mission. And that comes out in two different things. Number one, it's about glory to God. It's all about God's glory. Your life is first and foremost supposed to be about the glory of God. And the second thing in that is you become a disciple of his. You disciple one another. We are disciples who make other disciples. What that means is we live in communities that are centered around the gospel. We have relationships that are centered around the gospel. So that in everything we say and do, we're building each other up. We're discipling one another. It's not, hey, sit down and and read these ten chapters of the Bible with me. Sometimes it could be that. But a lot of it is really in these type of communities that are centered around the gospel with each other, discipling one another to grow into who Jesus calls us to be. Luke 11, uh, Matthew 5, like we just read, they both say this lamp, you don't hide it under a basket. You don't stick it in a closet. Again, he is calling these churches to their mission. You are meant to shine forth in this world. Jesus holds the light of these stars in his hands, and we'll talk about that actually next week. So Jesus says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. That's the word perseverance. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary but i have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first so he starts off you persevered you work hard you've tested those who claim to be apostles but they're not but you have abandoned the love you had at first some translations will say your first love and so what is jesus talking about and so I think it's a good idea to get a historical context maybe of what's going on. You can open to Acts chapter 19. Leave your finger in Revelation, but you know, flip to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, you get the account of how the church started. One of these places is actually in Ephesus. So it's a little bit of the context of the story because Jesus has very affirming words and then he has some very 
harsh words. Early church fathers will speak about the church in the city of Ephesus and say it was doctrinally sound. They were known for their right thinking. They were very concerned with saying and believing the right things. We call this orthodoxy. You know? And so in this passage in Acts, you have one of the first encounters with the gospel that happens in this city, and it's amazing. Acts 19, we're going to start in verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Seba were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? I know it sounds like Yoda, right? I know. Oh, who are you? Okay, you're right. Got it. That's my best demon, okay? And the man in whom the evil spirit was left on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them means he beat them up. So they fled out of the house naked and wounded. So if you're going to be a weakened demonologist, you better be a little bit careful, John Constantine. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. That means it's held in high honor. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together. These would be scrolls at the time. And burned them in the sight of all. You ever been to a scroll burning party? So much fun. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So you look at the city of Ephesus, right? And, and you see that this church starts with a very calculated seven-step plan and strategy. Did you hear what I read? No, that's not how it works. So it starts with like careful dissemination of pamphlets and tracts and people like clipboards. It was very single file. Oh, I want to know what that is. And they all walked in kind of neat and pretty. You know, they made a new logo. It's like, oh, that's a great logo. And they all came. No, it was chaos. It was pure chaos. I mean, do you hear those words and kind of go, oh, my goodness. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. I don't want to see that happen. Like, they had a hanky ministry, apparently. They'd take, oh, here, Paul, let me rub this on you. You know, that's, it's just weird, right? It, it'd be like you driving down the 101. And you look on the side of the road. There's this huge bonfire. you got all these people out there. And they're throwing, like, their Ouija boards into this bonfire. And you pull them and go, what's going on? They said, we just started a church. You'd be like, okay, did you, did you file your 501c3? You know, it was spontaneous. Lives are being changed. It's happening faster than anybody can organize this. I mean, there, there's sorcery out there. And, and sorcery has its roots in superstition. And superstition has its roots in the gods are angry with you. And you've got to figure out the right thing and the right spells and the right behaviors and the right rituals to keep all these gods happy. Because they're always mad. They're just looking for a way to smack you on top of the head. And the central announcement of the gospel comes along. And the central announcement of the gospel is that God has sent his son to save you. It is that God is good and he is love and he sent Jesus to make peace with you. You don't have to make peace with all these capricious gods. There is only one God and his heart is bent towards you. That's the gospel and it's beautiful. And there's an historical and profound shift in understanding here. God does not change. He is not capricious. This is an announcement of you can know where you stand with God because God has brought peace. And it catches like wildfire, as I assume it would today if we would actually live that out today. So you go back to the book of Revelation, 
And I'm going to tell you what I think this first love might have actually been. If you don't agree with me, don't string me up as a heretic. It's just, just what I think. Uh, but it's kind of like you know, being part of like a startup company or church. It grows and it builds and things get a little bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden, it's got to become a little more organized. And that's not a bad thing. That's actually a very good thing. But in the middle of that, you can't forget the mission. Verse 2, I know your work, your toil, your patient, and, uh, patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. And now this, Revelation is written by a guy named John. John is one of the original apostles of Jesus that were sent out. So John writes these letters, and then Jesus says, say this to them. So John writes it down and sends it to him. This is what Jesus wants you to hear. The apostles were the ones who guided and led the early church. Uh, all these seven churches in the book of Revelation probably saw John as one of their pastors. The, the apostles, they looked up to them because they had a unique connection to Jesus. They knew Jesus. And so what happened? We have Acts chapter 19, probably written, you know, all that happened there, probably around like 80, 45, you know, mid-40s, maybe early 50s, somewhere in there. Revelation, written probably 80, 65 to 80, 90, depending on your view and that kind of stuff. So it's a generation later. And what has begin to begin to happen? You have all this vibrant zeal, this amazing, the gospel going out and being proclaimed, people getting saved. Then it starts to get organized as it needs to, as it needs to. But it starts to get organized, people start showing up. And they start saying, well, I want a bit of this power. Oh, I I like this movement. I'm an apostle too. I would like a corner office, please. And they start showing up and kind of saying these things. I happened, actually, one of these things happened to us last week. We had this guy come up to us after one of our services. Uh, he, didn't, he wasn't here for any of the service. He just showed up at the very end and walked into me and said, Hey, I'm new in town. I want to teach a Bible study at your church. And I'm like, <laughs> I didn't do that. I was nicer, right? But, but I was like, yeah, like that's going to happen. I don't know you. You don't know me. How that's going to... In a very mundane sense, it'd be like maybe you got some, some business that starts with some college buddies who have no money. They work out a garage with like, with like one phone. And eventually it starts to get bitter, bigger, maybe like Apple or something like that. You know, and, and all of a sudden, it, as it gets bigger, people say, well, I've really been doing my share more than anybody else. I need a little bit more. And then you get an office building. Everybody kind of gets a place where they're going to sit. And everybody's like, yay. And then everybody starts jockeying for position in the midst of that. Maybe it's like a sports team. and wins like a championship, like a, like a Super Bowl or a World Series or a Stanley Cup or Whatever they win in basketball, I don't know what that is, you know. But, but the next year, man, that winning team comes up, and, and they say things like, I want more money because we won because of me. What does Jesus say here? Your toil, your perseverance, you cannot stand that kind of power grabbing. That's what he says. Because it starts with the beginning with this church. It's all joy about the proclamation of the gospel. But a couple decades later, all the energy they once spent on the mission of proclaiming the gospel is now starting to be spent internally on their own problems they become self-focused many scholars point out that the reason this church started so boldly and grew so quickly was that they understood the world needed to hear the good news of who jesus was so they were bold and fresh and they were creative but they lost that passion and impulse they have been sorting through who's in it for the wrong reason okay you're in it for the wrong reason but you're 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 out but somewhere in getting eternally organized and doing all that they abandoned the love they had at first If you love music, it's why the second album is never as good as the first. Because the first is all about the music, right? They wrote like 200 songs and only the 10 best made it on that album. Right? But not, and then all of a sudden, the second one's all about, I've got to pick up my house and my car, and uh, I better write some songs so I can pay off that car and that house. And, and that's what it kind of comes into. They lost their first love. Jesus is very affirming. You work hard. 
You don't put up with evil. You test those who want to be teachers. You stop power grabbers. But you have missed and lost your original mission and calling. You missed your life purpose, which is glorifying God, discipling one another. I think it's why the letters to the churches start with Jesus moving among these lampstands. Because what are the lampstands? The lampstands are the churches. What's the light a reminder of? The light is a reminder of you are not here for yourself. You are not put here just for you. It's not about a well-organized spiritual club. I mean, being doctrinally correct is awesome. I mean, that is great. We would love for all of you to be. But you've got to understand, you're not just here for you. It's not about having a Bible study seven nights a week. It's about going out and living what you've learned in the Scriptures out in the world around you. It's not just filling yourself up. It is pouring yourself out. It is so God's love would pour through you to the rest of the world around you. It is mission. It is the gospel. So verse 5, he says this. Remember, therefore, uh, from where you have fallen. Remember the scroll-burning parties? Repent and do the works you did at first. And the works you did at first is not more scroll-burning parties. It's the idea of understanding the excitement and what the gospel was and their mission. Have you ever heard this phrase? I mean, I've said it many times, and it's true, but as the church, we are the hands and feet of Jesus to the world. You've heard that, right? It's true. It's, It's an excellent saying. It's wonderful. But sometimes, when we're not careful with that, that language binds up Jesus so much to the church as an institution, it's hard to distinguish one from the other. I mean, it's, I mean it, it's, they're great words. They're wonderful words. We all need to live those words. But that's great until maybe the church hurts you. Or maybe, you know, a, a priest abuses some kid. Or maybe there's a wretched financial nightmare scandal that takes place. What happens when people are unable to distinguish Jesus from his church? People end up leaving the church because they can't distinguish the two. Any, I mean, don't raise your hands, but I'm sure we all know somebody like that who's walked away from church because of what Christians did. Those Christians are horrible. They're hypocrites. Yeah, and they're just like you and me and all of us. See, what happens here is Jesus is speaking to his church from outside the church. And what he's saying is the things that we think are crazy, he thinks are crazy too. Jesus calls the darkness and destruction exactly what it is, which means we can do that as well. Jesus comes to the church and he affirms, this is beautiful, this is good. I affirm this and this and this, but over here that's wrong. You've got to repent and knock it off. It's why it's important to understand that Jesus is talking to the church, calling them into mission. He doesn't just rail at it to try and tear it apart. He wants to build it up to what it was meant to be. This means we must have the ability to be like Jesus. And when we see something crazy within the church, to be able to call it out as well. But not just call it out and say, look, this is stupid. But to call it out and say, let's grow towards Christ. Let's grow together. Let's move this direction. We also have to have the freedom to do this in each other's lives as well. This is what we talk about when we say gospel fluency or living in gospel relationships or or gospel community. We're able to speak deeply into one another's lives because we care first and foremost about the gospel. And that translates into all of our relationships with each other. It's about building each other up to follow Jesus. I mean, it's important, I think, when, when you run into people or have friends that you meet who want nothing to do with the church because the church has done A, B, and C, you get to say, well, you know what? Jesus thinks A, B, and C is wrong and sinful too. He tells the church, repent of those things, but the church is still a beautiful thing. You've got to repent and turn away, be transformed. Uh, this is Luke chapter 15, or all that we talked about you know, the last five weeks. Teshuva, return to who God calls you to be. Verse 5, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. 
Yet this you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, and I'll explain that in a couple of weeks because it comes back. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, Jesus says this a lot, over and over and over. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. It's true. He who has an ear, let him hear. He says this all through his parables. And it means if you actually hear what he says, listen, that means you put it into practice, the things that he has said. He, Jesus says, if you're not true to your first love and understand of who you are, I'm going to remove your lampstand. That's not, he doesn't say, I'm going to send you to hell. That's not what he says. He says, I'm going to remove my blessing from your church. Do you know that 3,500 churches in America close every single year? 3,500. Sometimes with some of the garbage that's out there, I think many more should. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Do do you know that that these lights that we have in here is from an abandoned town with an abandoned church? Jessa found it. Here's a picture of it. So she found this, and that's where these lights... And after first service, somebody said, oh, so you stole them. (laughs) I'm like, uh, yeah, kind of, I guess. And so she saw this, and we went up there. Again, there's no, nobody lives there. It's totally abandoned. This church was totally abandoned. And, so, and this is, the lampstand had been removed. We thought, you know, maybe we could take these and put them in, and we can redeem them in a way. Kind of gives the lights a little more understanding and purpose, doesn't it? Because we don't want to be like that. We want to stay on a mission for who Jesus calls us to be. And again, the life purpose of a saved person is mission. It is mission. You know, it, is, it is being hospitable. It is living in authenticity. It is being open in our relationships as God calls us to be because God has been open towards us. We speak of the necessity to see Jesus found in our lives. I mean, Jesus is really, really strong as he starts to walk through with these churches. This is why we're doing Lent because it's really kind of a heavy thing. If you get bound up in fear... If you worry about all kinds of stuff, what's going to happen is you're going to start to want to circle the wagons. And you're going to want to do church as what we call bomb shelter. And that's not good. This is what the Ephesians started to do. They started to circle the wagons. When a church does church's bomb shelter, what it means is they look around and they see the culture around them as evil and pagan and dangerous. And the church is the safe place to raise you and your kids. You've got to stay there because it's safe and you can, you can hide there. So all the crazy stuff that takes place outside the walls, well, that's just those crazy people. And we stay away from them and we do everything here just kind of hiding away from everybody else. This is one of the reasons why I, I think Halloween is like the greatest holiday in the entire year because you get to go out. And you get to meet your neighbors. And, and if you have kids, you're like, hey, how you doing? You bring their door. They give you candy. They're happy to see you. Or if you don't, you get to stay home and open your door to your neighbors as they come by. You, know, you don't do like trunk or treat. You know, I mean, seriously, trunk or treat? What is up with that? I'm going to offend everybody right now. What is up? I mean, seriously, you, you want to teach a kid something dumb? Here, here's a stranger. Get candy out of their trunk. <laughs> Who thinks that's a good idea? Churches that do churches, that's bomb shelters. There's a lot of language like we and them. Bomb shelters are great places to raise your family away from anything that causes waves, you know, to keep them safe. You know, but you'll be insulated from the culture around you. But bomb shelter is not mission. It's not mission. What Jesus says is, I will come and I will blow out your lampstand. That's what I'm going to do. See, sometimes people have so thoroughly lost the plot of the story, who the story is about, whose story it even is. It is God's story. It's God's story. And we forget, we fail to be people who live in this world as God intends for us to live. 
It could even mean sometimes that you go and you attend a church and you encounter other people who call themselves believers. It could even mean something the size of a football stadium. And yet it feels like there is no focus upon the person of Christ. That Jesus is kind of like Elvis. He's left the building. And like nobody even knows. And, and what's going on here? Now see, Jesus saves us. It is true. It is about grace. It's not based on your works. But here to these churches, he's talking about a missional sense. Listen to what I say here. Okay, Jesus here does not express loyalty in a missional sense to those who aren't true to the mission. He will call you to repentance. He will chase you down. He will call you back as you are meant to live. But it doesn't mean he will further your mission when it is not his. And this is why Lent, it is soul-searching. It's deep. We've been given a life by God. We have been placed in certain relationships in our lives, whether it's work or school or home or neighbors. And at the heart of it all is Jesus' call for his people to live on mission where we are, to share God's redeeming love with the world. So you've got to ask yourself these questions. Where are you circling the wagons? Where are you circling the wagons? Where has your heart for mission become more of a heart to find more people just like you? Just people, oh, they agree the same things I like. Those people already love Jesus. Not that, I mean, you need Christian friends in your life. You do, you do. But where is that? Is that your only heart for friends or people just like you? See, Christianity for ages, we've used this word, it's called witnessing. And I know when I say that word, it scares the crap out of people. It's like, <gasps> witnessing. And you're like having nightmares of, you know, pamps and tracks shoved in your face and someone making someone go door to door and doing all this crazy stuff. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, and I'll show you what, how Jesus talks about it. Because witnessing is simply showing the world who God is by what he's done in us. And yes, we can speak about it. But more importantly, we also live that as well. I think you say witnessing, people start to break out in hives and sweat just from the word. You know, I've got to argue with people. Because the way we've talked about the word witnessing is we talk about it from a bomb shelter perspective. You're right, they're wrong, go prove it. That's how we tell people what they're supposed to do. And every once in a while, that could actually work. I mean, sometimes you do get in those, and they're great. But most of the time, that's just awkward and hard and weird, and nobody wants to do it. Matthew 5, verse 43 to 45. Again, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Bomb shelter. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Who are your enemies? They're people outside your bomb shelter. That's who they are. You know, they may be people that you view as less than you because maybe they hold a different view than you in something maybe like politics or football teams or something like that. One of the most fundamental ways we witness to our enemies is when you move towards them. You move towards them. I mean, this could be like something where somebody is so angry at you and you don't respond in the same way to them. I, I had a friend this week who, who had to explain something to somebody and they sent this really long, nice letter that kind of explained it. And the person who got it was just mean and vehement right back in their face. And my first thought is, let's go find this person and beat them up. And then my second thought is, I'm preaching about this on Sunday. I can't do that. Okay, so. <laughs> and then what I did is I thought about it and I responded. And I said, you know what you should respond to them? Hey, are you having a bad week? Are you okay? And start to move towards them. Don't respond with the same vehemence back. You respond back with grace and understanding. I mean, because I'll tell you, this is, this is one of the ways of how God moves towards us. 
We were considered enemies of God. God moves and steps towards us. This is the whole idea of Luke 15 and the prodigal son and all these things. It is God that is moving towards us. The father moves towards his wayward kids. I mean, you know, some of this and moving towards somebody, it could be stopping talking evil about them. It could be for some of you taking your bumper stickers off your car. I was driving down Broadway the other day, and I saw this horrible bumper sticker that talked about, hey, come to my bomb shelter. If you don't like it, the devil will always take you back. And I'm like, oh, what a hole. Oh, gee. Like, I don't ever see Jesus saying that, you know? I'm just like, ah, it's a horrible, horrible witness because it's not moving towards somebody. It's, hey, you move towards me. And if you don't like it, you can leave. That's all that it said. There is no movement towards other people as God calls us to. Maybe it's you set aside the categories that that our society has labeled on people. Because in that, you'll begin to discover somebody else's humanity as God originally tended us to live and be as human beings. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are amazing words. When we do that, it's always inspiring. It all entails forgiveness. Is there somebody who has wronged you that you need to step towards? Forgiveness doesn't mean consequences go away, but it means you let go of the bitterness in your heart because God has first forgiven you. We witness to the world by forgiving like Jesus did. The only hope we have ever had is Jesus. And so we live like he calls us to live. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. I'll show you how Jesus kind of does this. Luke chapter 5. Hospitality, friendship. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. I swear I'm almost done. It says, after this, he, Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he arose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, because they know how to throw a party. And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the thing. These people know they're broken. They, They may be angry. They may lash out. They may not know any other way to function in life, but they know they don't like it. They just don't know the way to do it. And he reaches out and steps towards them. Having a meal showed friendship and closeness. It's a relationship that begins to be centered on the gospel. And the religious leaders question Jesus. Why would you eat with these people? Why would you do this? All that shows is what they're doing is okay. But Jesus has a meal because he's showing that even these people are within the scope of God's loving, saving, and redeeming. That's what he's doing. Jesus has a meal with people who've been kicked to the edges and marginalized. And the religious leaders say, how dare you do that? And I think it's great because you get the book of Revelation, and I think you get what Jesus is saying the entire time. How dare I? You have abandoned the love you had at first. Do you remember what it was like to understand the saving grace of Jesus? Do you understand that and what's meant to be lived like? So who do you need to share the gospel with in practical ways? What practical ways, hands and feet, do you need to share that gospel with others? Where do you need to step out and move closer to somebody else. And then the hardest part also is for us as a church, as an entire body, where are we reaching out? Where are we welcoming others, displaying the gospel that was so freely given to us? I mean, I love the idea of go bags. You know, some, sometimes I do have, have issues with the government 
<laughs> I'm not like a prepper or anything, but, you know, I, I do. And, and sometimes I have problems with sometimes social services. I think, you know, maybe take kids out in the wrong place, things like that. But this whole go bag of things, it's not about social services. It's about these poor kids. And so we're, you know, you focus there, not on the garbage over here. Because Jesus has first reached to us. We reach out as well. Romans 5.10 says, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. While we were enemies, God reconciled to us. God stepped towards us. He moved towards us. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, have you forgotten that you were first loved? It will bear out in how you treat people around you and how you extend that same grace to people around you. We need to be people who repent and live in the mission of the gospel. I mean, this is... Guys, you got 10 weeks of this coming. <laughs> or in the end, it's heavy. It's deep. It's hard because we have to look at these things of where we have forgotten the love we had at first. And where we solely started to make it about ourselves or, oh, oh, Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me. No, he loves other people too. It's not just you. I mean, it is you. But it's everybody else too. This is one of the reasons why we always come to communion. It's where you break that cracker which was broken like his body for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and me because our God stepped towards us. He moved towards us. In our lost and broken state, he moves towards us. Jesus rises from the dead, which brings us back to newness of life so we can not only have everything that separated us from God, our sin taken away, but we can also live in newness of life so that we can begin to be a people who live in the grace and the goodness of a God in new spiritual and real life. It's a beautiful thing. I think Jesus says, don't forget the love that are first and where this whole thing started. The band's going to come up, all three of them. <laughs> and as they do, we invite you to take communion, be some deacons in the back, and if you guys need prayer, I mean, maybe you're in a place where you feel like you've forgotten your first love. And maybe you're just sitting there going, I, I, I heard about the grace of God. I remember being so excited when I understood that, that Jesus loved me and my life was surrendered to him and I, and I loved that day. But since then, you totally forgot. And it's become more and more about you and not about him. See, this is, this is why I said, Element, we got one drum that we beat. That's it. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I just say it different ways every week, but it's all Jesus. Because when our eyes and focus are there, everything else makes sense. Everything in life comes into line. Because we are worshiping and serving our God who has first saved us. And so the rest of our lives change. There's offering boxes on the sidewall in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is also part of that worship. There's food in the back, and we do that so that you guys can meet one another. So you can maybe get together and maybe ask some of these questions, enter into some gospel-centered relationships with other people. So you can call each other to live on mission. And it's one of the reasons why God calls us to be a people of the church together. All of us, together. It's not just 
hey, you know, here's Joe over here, and that's the only guy. It's all of us together. He saves you personally, but it is meant to be lived out with other people. In relationships, centered around the gospel, so that they become deep and true, we begin to disciple one another, simply by how we love one another and speak truths into each other's lives. I mean, our God is good. Our God is good. And he calls us to such deep and profound and powerful things in our lives. I think we, as a people, need to also step into those deep and profound and powerful things. Because in the end, it is all about Jesus and his grace and love and forgiveness and redeeming for us, lived out to the world around us. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us how to be a people, how to repent in our lives of places that we are not living the gospel, that we are not living on mission, that we are not first and foremost lifting you up, and secondly, discipling one another. I ask that you would teach us what it means to step towards those that we do not want to step towards. You would help us to see the the vibrancy and the hope and the love of you. And that it would begin to change our hearts and our souls and our lives. And so we would remember and live in the love that we had at first. The excitement that we had at first. The astonishment that you could be so good that we had at first. And that would begin to move our eyes off of ourselves and onto you. And out to the rest of the world around us. So that you would be lifted up. And by how we live, we'd bring much joy to the world around us. We'd be able to live your redeeming hope and redeeming love. We would have the strength to go on no matter what comes into our lives. Because we realize our lives are found in you. Teach us to be a people to live as your children. To have our hearts fully exposed to you your spirit does its work deep within us and that work deep within us will move out into our hands and our feet and most importantly also our mouths and how we talk to and interact with the rest of the world we ask these things in your son's gracious and good name amen